0: Welcome to In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. It's a little bit of a shorter episode today than most of the previous ones have been, but it's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Today's focus is on thoroughbred aftercare, which I really want to kind of be a recurring theme throughout this podcast as it grows and even with all the other news that goes on during the year, I think for me it's always a a big topic, a big centerpiece, and I want it to be a centerpiece of this show as well. As many of you know, I'm the founder and president of an aftercare organization called Racing for Home, Inc. We started back in 2011 when we got 501c3 status, and back in 2019, we were accredited by the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, which was a big goal of mine. They hold their organizations to very high standards. Believe me, it's a lot of paperwork. And I also tell anyone who's interested in adopting an OTTB, OTTB, Off-Track Thoroughbred, Go through a TAA accredited organization. You know they're doing it the right way. For me, aftercare is what got me into racing. I grew up around horses, I loved horses, but when my mom Sherry and I started getting x rays Horses off the backside at Suffolk Downs, I said, okay, I really need to know about the world that they're coming from, and that's what got me into the world of racing. Beyond my own organization, I'm also a proud spokesperson for the TAA, and recently I also joined the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation Florida Advisory Committee. I'm really proud to be a part of the work that they've been doing, and for years I've been in awe of what they do with their Second Chances program at correctional facilities across the country, and this theme of Second Chances was actually a big part of my platform Um, back when I was with Connecticut, even helping horses and helping people and that theme that everybody deserves a second chance. So that's really going to be the focus of today's show. So while the title of this podcast is in the ring, I don't think we can truly focus on the full story of breeding, pedigree, racing in general, if we don't also cover aftercare. I am so happy to welcome in the wonderful Kim Weir from the Thurbridge Retirement Foundation, the Director of Major Gifts and Planned Giving uh, for the TRF and and somebody that's done incredible work in the past couple of years. And the TRF has a lot of big things coming up. Kim, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy to have you on the show. Well, Acacia,
1: you are so kind to invite me and you are such a star in the world of aftercare. So let me just start by saying how much I we appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Your advocacy and enthusiasm for aftercare just comes right through the screen in every venue that you you are. So it's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: And I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. I talked a little bit in the intro in this show about how important aftercare was in my life and and That's really at the end of the day what got me into the sport of horse racing. And I know this podcast is dedicated mostly to sales and breeding pedigrees and things like that, but it's an all inclusive thing. And aftercare has, I think, especially in the last 10 years, I think, grown a lot within the industry. Kim, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've noticed as far as how the industry of horse racing has developed a relationship with aftercare organizations and how we've brought this topic perhaps a little bit more to the forefront, though we, of course, still do have a lot to do.
1: Yeah, I I do agree with you that it has come a long, long way, um, really, since since the since the beginnings, of course, this, this sport that we're both a part of is a very, very old mm-hmm. sport. So we will not go all the way back to its very beginnings. But in the United States and in it's like modern times, um, there has just been a, 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 a gradual at first and now increasingly rapid uh, rising tide of awareness and of opportunity for, for everyone to play a role in aftercare. And that's sort of how the best and biggest problems in the world, we all know, are solved when it, they're... They're tackled from all sides. And and that's what I feel like has really started and not just started, is happening now with aftercare. Um, One of my favorite books um, that I often refer to is is by Malcolm Gladwell. Are you familiar with him? I think Mm -hmm. I am. Yes. He's such a great guy. And his book, Tipping Point, is one Mm -hmm. that I find myself referring to. And especially as I am giving you this rambling answer that there is a moment when all things align and the world becomes aware of an idea or a product or whatever it may be. And in our case, it's aftercare. And I do think that tipping point, I dare say that tipping point has happened. That does not mean that we're done. It does not mean that the work is finished, but but we have now reached the point where if you if you did sort of an inventory of every piece and part of the thoroughbred racing industry, and, and we know there are many, many uh, pieces in this mosaic that make up the industry, but Really, they're all aware of and engaged in some way with aftercare. Um, and I think that that's, that's a huge thing to recognize and to celebrate is just that that everyone's got the song book now, and we maybe just need to turn up the volume of our singing. <laughs> and, and I will never do that to you, not my singing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's where we are in that um, you know, these platforms that you're providing through your show, and, and in fact, looping what what we do at TRF to a show that is about breeding and pedigrees. It it makes tons of sense because it is all just one sort of circle of life and it's a circle of the industry and we will only be as good as we take care of every animal in the sport. So, so I am, I remain, I'm very fortunate. I guess I'll start by saying I feel very, very fortunate in, in a million ways, but to be in my role with an organization with the history that we have. Um, and at this point in time, and I've only been at the TRF now, it'll be three years in May, but it's been a magical, amazing couple of years. And I just am so grateful to be here when I'm here, because I do feel like we have the stage set to really, to, to get this done And, and you're doing an amazing job. We're doing our part and we have tons of colleagues across the aftercare industry who are all doing their role to, to get, to get the horses taken care of. So it's it's an exciting time, uh, but there's still much to do. So we have much to talk about.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, obviously every good thing comes with its challenges. And I know um, your job title is basically raising money for the TRF. Not an easy feat sometimes in the world of aftercare. Tell me a little bit about the challenges that you face and some of the things that you need to make happen in order to make the programs within the TRF a possibility yeah it
1: it is um it it, those of us who who fundraise for a living uh fortunately Mm -hmm. we usually end up in this role because we we find it um natural and fun so (laughs) as much as it is challenging and it is it is not easy um i i feel very again fortunate that i'm in a role where i really always say this over and over i'm simply speaking for the horses you know this is a cause that i believe in and for me the the next step of saying if you if you out there in the world believe in it uh, then take an action. This is actually the way I phrase it often is if, you, if you're if you aware of what we're doing and you care about our work, then then take an action. Now that action may be many things. And many times it's a platform and it's a message and it's um, what you're doing today. Sometimes it's getting involved in applying for a job or doing some volunteer work. And then for others, the action is giving. And so for me, it's sort of all of one whole that I'm just acting, asking folks to take action and whatever that action may be, however creative they feel like being. And I have to just tell you, I'm in a mode today where I've just been struck Mm -hmm. over and over again, even in this early week, early in this week, how creative people can be and are being about how to tackle this problem. But the challenges are real. And I guess the specific answer for for me and my work for the TRF and all of us on the team, I mean, we 100% all identify as fundraisers. It's essentially the Mm -hmm. only function of the TRF uh, national team. We have we have two functions. We raise money and then we take care of the horses. But we have farm managers across the country at our 18 farms. They're amazing humans, each and every one of them, and they do the work of caring for the horses. But there's essentially one or maybe one or two in each farm. That's what they do in the field. Those of us in the office, we all raise money and we all raise awareness. So the the challenge for us is simply that when we take in a horse, as, as you well know, we we are in the sanctuary business. That is our piece of the aftercare ecosystem um and that just means that a horse is going to come into our herd and he or she is then going to be with us for a very very long time especially Mm -hmm. when we take care of them uh natural life expectancy is right between 25 and 30 years and and our Mm -hmm. herd almost almost entirely lives that long because they're living you know they're living the life of a horse in a field having a good time and being well cared for Mm -hmm. so that only provides the challenge that um you know, our work is really never done. I laughingly say that our horses eat break, eat money for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because all horses <laughs> do, and, and you know them all—the ones you see on the racetrack—they just eat lots of expensive food, breakfast, uh-huh. lunch, and dinner. <laughs> um, so I guess you know the challenge is simply that we're never, we're we're just never done. Um, and so we look for interesting and creative ways to, to reach new audiences, new ears, new hearts, new minds. Um, because the world is big and lots of people haven't heard our story. That's sort of strategy A is just reach more people, which is why I come back to how grateful I am to you. And then strategy B is to recognize that we have to educate folks about the fact that these guys live a long life and they need to be attended to for for their whole natural, healthy, happy life. And that that will keep me out of trouble for a very long time.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Uh, The organization that I run with my mom is is much smaller than the TRF. Uh, We only have about 11 uh, 11 right now um, in training, but we do aftercare retraining and rehoming, so we kind of cover the spectrum. But the ones that we do um, for sanctuary, it really is, it's difficult because you have to just acknowledge that that horse is going to basically take up space and you love them and you want them to live forever. And when that time comes, it's the worst thing in the world, but you know that you've given them a productive life and and a wonderful life that they've deserved uh, off of the racetrack or whether this is their fourth, fifth, sixth stop after the racing uh, days are over. But with the case of the TRF, you have the Second Chances programs in place as well. Tell me a little bit about some of these horses that are there for sanctuary purposes, kind of find their new calling in that way. Well, that's
1: exactly exactly right and very well put is that we're, I think that's true with all all things horse training you're trying to listen to that horse and understand what what they most want to do and that of course i'm 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 not I'm no horse trainer, but I've spent a lot of time around them, and I realize that that's what, even on the track, the, the horsemen are figuring out, what does this horse want to do? Does he want turf? Does he want dirt? Does he want mm-hmm. long? Does he want short? Well, that, it's just, for me, the analogy continues because when they finish their career, we're we're essentially continuing to listen to them. You, in that wonderful work of retraining and rehoming, are really tuned into what their next career could be. With us in our program, we we are accepting the fact that the horses that we specifically take are not able to pursue an, another athletic career. Sometimes that's because they finished their racing career unable to do another mm-hmm. career. Sometimes they come to us just much later in life. We, we we are not always the second stop. We are, as you you've referenced, we are sometimes the fourth or fifth stop. But at the point they are too old or aged out of their career, they'll come to us. So that's the point where we use our horse whisperer skills, and this is largely in the hands of our really amazing um, national herd manager. My great colleague, Sarah Davenport, is our the horseiest of the horsewomen at the TRF. And so she, she helps assess where the best fit is for a horse in our big herd, our, our 500 plus herd across the country. There are horses that just need to live the simple life of a horse being a horse in a field with some buddies. I mean, we do get a fair amount of kissing spine. We also get some, we get some things that make it a little too challenging for them to be around rookies, which is at the end of the day, that's what our TRF second chances program is going to have them do. They're Mm -hmm. going to go and they're going to be with humans, men, women, and now young men um, who don't have any horse experience. So we, we do have to sort of sort that way. Is, is this horse going to be safe and happy and useful in a second chances teaching job, or is this a horse that due to the way its life has unfolded, it's just going to be better off being in a quiet sanctuary farm? So that's one of the, the ways in which we assess that. Um, and now we've actually got this new level with, with the program we're going to talk about today, where we also have had to sort of pick between the, the horses at our program in Lowell to decide which ones would really be okay with younger people. Mm-hmm. But I'll leave, I'll leave that, at that for now.
0: Yeah, of course, that will be a big topic uh, for today's show. But one more question I wanted to ask you before we got there. Um, Actually, a couple. As I said on this show, I support tangents. Let's go off on the tangents. Let's cover (laughs) the topic. (laughs) I love it it too. Sometimes I think you can find the most fascinating conversations that way. Um, But I wanted to ask you, with the TRF being uh, accredited by the Thurbert Aftercare Alliance, my organization, one of their 74 um, worldwide as well, holding kind of to those high standards for people that are are interested in maybe getting involved with aftercare or adopting an OTTB, there are many organizations um, like the TRF, like the the many that we have accredited by the TAA around the country that are held to these high standards are doing things the right way. Tell me a little bit from your experience, Kim, maybe like you said, with some newbies getting involved, what are some of the things to look for? What are some of the things to take in note if you're interested in thoroughbred aftercare in any way?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's it's important to underscore how, how how fortunate we are, and it's a sign of our industry um, having evolved to this point that we have such a strong accrediting organization as the TAA. Um, and 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 honestly, as a fundraiser, coming back to that earlier question, I am most grateful to have something that is that clearly defined good housekeeping seal of approval because it gives donors that I'm talking to comfort that mm-hmm. that that we're going to do the right thing by their dollars and their investment in our services and it actually just prevents you know kind of unintentionally maybe maybe best intentioned actors who aren't accredited from doing the wrong thing and then making it harder for all of us to raise money i mean this is what right. happens across all animal charities is that you, you know you have those so this ta is really making our industry better by keeping us all um very very well monitored and and on top of things. So I, I do love their role, super super important, and their work in education and outreach and awareness is tremendous as well. Uh, but I would say for folks who would want to get involved, I think at this point it's a, it's probably very different than it was you know years and years ago because today you've got to sort of think about what uh, what is your gift to give. You know, are you a um, are you are you looking for that? Bonding relationship—that's just sort of a forever relationship with a horse. Um, where you—you you know, this is probably me because this is where I am in my life. I just <laughs> want to have them as pets at this point. I've done all my riding career and I enjoyed it. And I—I'm not saying I won't ride again, but at this point, I just want to hang out with the horses. It makes mm-hmm. me the happiest. And I think there are a lot of people out there who feel this way. Um, and there's a place for you in aftercare, I would say, as we call out to the to the audience. And that can be in a couple ways, but certainly you know you're talking about sanctuary at this point if you're just hanging with them you're you're kind of having them as a great big you know fairly expensive pet but a very really fabulous one um,
0: a lawn just, ornament as my mom yes, calls them yes
1: pasture yep. puff we have our we have a whole <laughs> list of things we call them and we love them all but sanctuary is one of the is a path and the path kind of can go one of two ways i mean there's there are folks out there and it, it's happening i mean kind of as we're speaking there are folks who are inspired you know one of our favorite stories of 2020 which i'm sure you know Crossed your path, Miss Acacia, was this amazing thing that um the acclaimed artist Jamie Wyeth did, where he decided mm-hmm. to give his whole beautiful, extraordinary farm in Ford, Pennsylvania to become a sanctuary. Yeah. And he and his his new nonprofit, the Pastors of Point Lookout, was created simply to adopt ten of of our horses. So it's why it's our story too. We love the story, but he adopted 10 of our horses and just set up his own sanctuary farm, which Anita motion manages as the executive director. And it's just this grand, glorious, amazing gesture. I'm not saying that everyone can do that, but it's very inspiring that someone who knows who's listening may have something in their bag of tricks that they can do. So that's like one idea is to mm-hmm. use your resources, your farm and see if you are in a position to become a sanctuary, because there are there are plenty that need that. The other thing, which is much more approachable, and I always want to make sure we, we underscore it, is is just the 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 trying to eat one potato chip, which is very difficult. We always say that horses are like potato chips. You can't just Absolutely. have one. <laughs> um, but you know, people will adopt from us or other sanctuaries, and adoption is is can be sanctuary as well because our horses are great companion animals, and so if you're comfortable with the the, the long term care and the kind of dealing with the the ins and outs of what comes with an older thoroughbred, um, you know, there's a place for you in the in the big aftercare ecosystem because it's those one by one homes that are some of the most beautiful stories, and I I could wax on and on about it, but I do think that um, those are a couple things that coming from our lens that people that are actually doable for that person who wants to get involved. And of course, you can tell. I'd love to talk further if people just want to brainstorm. That's what we're here to do.
0: Absolutely. And I hope anybody interested in aftercare feels free to reach out to you and or, or any TAA-accredited organization and in getting involved because my mom and I always love the, the starfish story, if you will, that a man walks along the beach, he sees all the starfish washed up on the shore and starts throwing them back into the ocean one by one. And somebody comes by and says, why are you doing that? You can't possibly make a difference and save all of them. Throws one more back in and he says it makes a difference for that one. And that's kind of, I think, what aftercare is, one by one and in, in trying to make one. a difference it's in beautiful. that way. It's a perfect image. That's a very, yeah. very good one. I agree completely. Well, tell me a little bit. I want to know about your background, Kim. You You had a business background and grew up around horses and a lifelong love of horses. What brought you to the position that you're in today? Oh my
1: gosh! Well, you're you're kind to to ask, and I always uh, my, too many friends who would kick me under the table and say, "Now, Acacia does not need your like, you know, life side <laughs> of this story." So I try to do like the highlights, but I feel very I feel very grateful to have arrived at this point in my life. I th- sort of feel like my entire life has been preparing me for the moment that I'm in today, like even right here, right now with you, um, mm. because I was raised by ponies. Um, I think I think you and I might share this trait. Very much so. <laughs> um, I feel very lucky. I grew up um, in Southern California. So for those listening, um, San Diego is my hometown and Mexican food is still my primary desire. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a little bit harder to find here in Saratoga. Um, a little bit. A little bit. I mean, we have some, but it's just not quite the same. <laughs> Um, So San Diego, talk about a magical place to grow up. Plus, then there's no weather there, right? So it's 70 degrees and sunny, pretty much my whole childhood. And that meant that I could be at the barn every waking moment of my whole childhood. And that's what I did. I am an only child. And as my husband says, that's still very evident. I'm still a a spoiled only child. But I'm really glad that those horses that my folks found for me early in my life um, taught me so many so many things. So my first pony's name was Candy Cane. She was given to me for Christmas because I really have that charmed childhood I feel very, very grateful for. And Candy Cane and I galloped around the sagebrush and tumbleweeds of Southern California when there used to be a lot of that because there there was a lot more open space when I was a kid. <laughs> San Diego is fairly developed at this point, but um, it was an amazing way to grow up. And I did, I started with Pony Club, a huge, huge advocate for Pony Club. So just cannot say enough about it. Um, that sort of evolved into a fair amount of um, three-day eventing, and uh, we did fox hunting, which, you know, in the spirit of tangents, yes, just try to imagine that, cage of fox hunting through the sage, butch, cat, cactus, and rattlesnakes, but we, we I pretended, oh yeah, we pretended like we were in Virginia, we dressed up with the coats, we had the hounds, we had the horns, we did it all up, it's just that we were, you know, in the dust <laughs> through the Penasquitas Canyon, um, so I, I had, horses coming out my ears as a kid and I do again give them credit for all my best qualities and they have no responsibility for my many many flaws but mm. but they brought me east so you know the sh- jumping ahead um I was horses that um brought me to Virginia as a young girl I went to a horseback riding camp that was incredibly formative in my life and um that's when I realized I was supposed to be on the east coast I'd I liked. California, but I was apparently, I believe I was meant to be where there are seasons, which is why I'm in Saratoga now. And we are definitely, (laughs) definitely having a season up here. (laughs) Um, But Virginia is where I ended up. I went to school. I brought my, um, I did finish up my, my childhood doing the whole hunter jumper horse show kind of stuff. And so my show horse was a thoroughbred. Um, There were lots of thoroughbreds and I would, maybe this is the other tangent is that there were lots of thoroughbreds in my childhood. They just weren't I wasn't connected to the racetrack at all, other than the mm-hmm. fact that our big A show every year of the Del Mar National Horse Show, or we called it national, I don't know if it was national, but it was an A show and it was at the Del Mar Fairground. So I went to the racetrack every year. It was actually where I heard my first derby was sitting on my horse's back for the metal McClay. That was always on the Sat first Saturday in May. And they'd stop mm-hmm. the class at like three o'clock in the afternoon because Somewhere far, far away, there was this horse race being run in Kentucky, and they would play <laughs> with, it with the loudspeakers <laughs> wow. so, so but but really, I didn't know much about racing. I just knew that the thoroughbreds were were the horses we wanted for all of our competition I mean that's what I rode, that's what everyone at my barn rode and um I brought mine back with me to school at u v a and then um it was shortly after college that I met. My husband and he is the one who's responsible. So for for better or for worse, those who are stuck with me now, it's because my hubby took me on our first date to Laurel Racetrack. <laughs> so that that's at least one part of the story of how I ended up where I am, Acacia.
0: <laughs> I love that though. Um, racing really uh, really does kind of suck you in, and once you're in it, I don't think there's really any getting out um, in, in any way, shape, or form. But uh, you mentioned kind of the prevalence of thoroughbreds in the show world. And this is something that you and I had discussed, too, that it used to be that was kind of the it horse. And we saw a phase where maybe thoroughbreds fell out of fashion a little bit in the show world and warm bloods took over. But we know, I know you and I are, are huge proponents of the versatility of the thoroughbred and how much they can easily transition into any new career. And it does seem like, Kim, we've seen a little bit more of a transition into more thoroughbreds into the show world.
1: Yeah, I think it is. It's another sign of this, um, all systems firing in terms of awareness Mm -hmm. and raising, um, the education and knowledge of what the thoroughbred is possible is able to do. I I kind of missed the chapter where they fell out of favor. I I know it happened, but it was sort of right after I left college. Um, then I got swept up into the real, you know, my version of the real world and all my Mm -hmm. you know different career things. They were all around the Washington DC area. And while we would go to the horse races, I didn't, I wasn't plugged into the horse show world anymore. So I kind of missed it, but I had such an epiphany when I went to Wellington just last year um, for the first time. And that was like an eye-opening experience. And it, you know, Wellington, which is the top of the top of the show world is Mm -hmm. still quite dominated by warm bloods, but it was just for me, the wake up of, Oh, this is what people have been talking about that the the warm bloods, you know, took over where thoroughbreds used to be because the, thir- the warm bloods were just an exception to the rule in my, in my young days. And mm-hmm. now it's sort of eighty twenty rule where it may be at best that it's 80% warm bloods and 20% thoroughbreds, mm-hmm. but the thoroughbreds are on the move. You, you are right. And I see it. I think our friends who are just doing such a great job at the retired mm-hmm. racehorse project with the thoroughbred makeover. Um, it's just really exciting to see that, that, The time and effort and thoughtfulness is going into re-educating folks about the the um, magic of the thoroughbred. We, as a jumping back point, um, we have put together this really amazing all-star advisory committee for for what the TRF is doing in Florida this year. And you, my dear, I'm so honored (laughs) to have you on that committee, and can't wait for you to meet some of your committee members Um, because a couple of them are very much from these other worlds, and one of them is actually an Olympic dressage rider who resonated right away. She was introduced to me by another friend on the committee. And she said, listen, I'm an Olympic level dressage rider. She didn't really say that, but it is true. <laughs> and she started on thoroughbreds. So so maybe that's what's happening is those who grew up knowing how great the thoroughbred was, they're now engaged in that process of um, of educating folks. And it really is. I think we're we're, the wind is at our back with this issue. Although um, boy, there are a lot of warm bloods out there.
0: <laughs> yes, there are. Um, and I, I will always be the biggest thoroughbred fan. That's what I wrote is a, Child growing up in my show program when I was ten years old, there was an OTTB in uh, the lesson program. Nobody wanted to ride her because she was fast and kind <laughs> of scary, and I adored her and oh. fly over the jumps and everything. And you know, then you get older and the ground seems a little bit further away. <laughs> but uh, you know, at the time, I was fearless and she was amazing. And and now I have the privilege of being able to work with thoroughbreds all the time. And you know, we talked about their versatility. Talked a little bit about the second chances program. That brings me into the versatility of these horses and now working with young men, the new TRF second chances juvenile program in Ocala. Tell me a little bit about what's coming up, what this new program is and and how important it is to the TRF. Well, thank
1: you. It is. I'm, I'm grateful for it for giving us this opportunity to talk, because I have a feeling we could, we could and I hope we will talk much more over the days ahead, Miss Acacia. Absolutely. <laughs> but today is an exciting day. It's actually the eve of a historic moment for the TRF. And when you're an organization that's been around as long as we have, creeping up on 40 years um, as a nonprofit charitable organization, you don't have historic days all that often. I mean, you have a lot of really important days, but you know, things things happen slowly in in the world that we live in with aftercare. So tomorrow is one of those days where it's a big day. It's a big day because we are launching something that we have not done in the past. Uh, We've, we've dreamed, we've dreamed of it. So the simple answer is that tomorrow a dream comes true. and that dream is connecting our horses, our beloved aging equine athletes, and we're putting them in the TRF Second Chances program, which is well established as the public private partnership model that we have built and run across the country for nearly 40 years. But tomorrow we apply it and we share it with the world in its first iteration with young men, ages these, they're at this residential facility there between 15 and 18 years of age. They are in a Florida Department of Juvenile Justice residential facility. So it's, it's, it's not prison, it's juvenile. And that means that um, these these young men have definitely had some kind of a brush with the law, much as the men and women who are in our Second Chances programs all are. But in this case, they have been uh, they've met with a judge and the judge has adjudicated them to a residential juvenile facility where they can get a lot of help, a lot of training, a lot of therapy, a lot of guidance and a lot of tools to help them rebuild a life that's going to give them a much, much brighter future. So tomorrow's the day that we get to share this with the world. We, we're, it's in Ocala. That's where this program is located. So we will be sharing it with Florida, but we will be showing sharing it with the United States. And I dare say someone outside of the United States will surely watch us on our live stream link tomorrow, and we will share it with the world. Um, so it's the best of what we know how to do applied to a completely new environment which are these young men. And, and we're just crazily excited about the impact this will have um, on a group of people who are at risk, but have a lot of potential, a huge amount of hope, a huge amount of promise. And if our horses do what they did for you and me, Acacia, they, they're mm-hmm. going to give these guys a much better shot when they um,
0: go back into their communities. And I think it's amazing. I've had the, the privilege of visiting the Lowell Correctional Facility in Ocala, where they have the pro the Second Chances program for the women. A- and I've been there twice. Uh, the first time was to do a story on one of the horses there, Immortal Wink, who had raced in Puerto Rico, came back to the U.S. and is now being spoiled after his one 100- hundred. Plus, uh, career starts being spoiled by the women at Lowell Correctional in um, the Second Chances Program there, and it, it really is just amazing to see the impact that these horses have on the individuals in the program and giving them tools to to find really a second chance, a new life after their time in prison. It, it really is amazing to see the impact and to see how it really is changing the world, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, I love that you
1: have been to Lowell and you have spoken about it so eloquently on on air numerous times, and please know that you get to keep on doing that this year. <laughs> because, um Well, because we have a lot to celebrate about that very program with the women um, at Lowell, and um, that'll just tease your audience that they're going to have to hear me again as we get closer mm-hmm. to the fall. We'll be celebrating that program in a big way. But, but we'll connect the dots to you having been there a couple times because you've met... The very horses that are helping the young men at this juvenile program because the, the nitty-gritty is that the juvenile program is adjacent to that very same farm that you visited Acacia. It's the same I call it the same piece of land it's just got different ownership so the horses of Lowell live on land owned by Department of Corrections and the barn and the program at the juvenile facility are on land that is owned by the Department of Juvenile Justice but it's the same piece of land and in fact when we get into like the story behind the story, which is not tomorrow will be just a brief like meet everybody, see everything, but I'm eager for folks to know there's a lot more to chew on because we actually have this magical, the, this, the magical story is that the women of Lowell literally built the barn and put up the fences that are the facility of the juvenile program, like that, mm-hmm. that just, you cannot make this stuff up. It's amazing. I have pictures of them raising the barn with our amazing John Evans, who I know who, who just speaks so highly of you, Acacia. And I recall mm-hmm. that you met him on your visit to Lowell too. Yes. So he was a huge player in this story too. He, he will not take any, he will not let me give him any credit for this juvenile <laughs> program, but he has been a superhero in making it happen.
0: <laughs> He's fantastic. I, I really you can see how much he cares at, at what he does and, and the impact that he really is leaving. All of the women respected him so much and he did so much work in helping them to, to find jobs after the program was over to tell everybody a little bit about that, Kim, and, and some of the maybe challenges or, or success that that program has had with those tools that these individuals l- learn and acquire being part of this program with the horses and then taking that into the workforce after that.
1: Yeah, the, the Lowell program is just, just chock full of, of amazing stories, which which I said, this will be our year to really tell them. But what I would say is sort of as the, the, the highlight is that this program has been um, operating at the Lowell Correctional Institution for 20 years. In fact, last year was its 20th anniversary. And if the world hadn't conspired against me, we would have been celebrating <laughs> that 20 anniversary last year. But that's OK, because in the meantime, we've gathered all these amazing technology skills, and now we can do it and invite the world to join us. So that is what we will do in October of this year. We will celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Lowell program with a horse show that will introduce everyone listening and everyone that you tell your friends and neighbors to meet the women and the horses there. But the best part about that story, 20 years of, Mr. Evans has actually been there 16 of those 20 years. So he's, Mm he's said superhero status is not overstated with him. (laughs) Um, But if you combine what he's done, what our horses have done, with the ecosystem of equine industry in Ocala, there are a lot of horse jobs in the Ocala region. There's a lot of horses in the Ocala region. Mm -hmm. They don't call it the horse capital of the world for nothing. And so so we are really happy to to be able to say um, that we have a list of dozens of individual women who have finished their program at, at the TRF Second Chances program, finished their time at Lowell gone back into the world and have kept in touch with us and with our friends at the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. Um, the great gal there, Tammy Gant, has kept in touch with mm-hmm. a lot of them. And, and we're going to be bringing them back to share their stories with us. But they range from, you know, going off and getting a career in hospitality to going to work at a training barn right down the road and everywhere in between. So we have a lot of good stories across the TRF Second Chances program nationally, but I would without hesitation say we have more of those stories from the women of Lowell. And it's a combination of reasons. And again, Mr. Evans is a big part of that. They've just, they've kept us in their hearts as they've gone into the world and are willing to share those stories. So so really great things have happened there. and uh, And I'm just so excited to to tell them, to tell their stories as we go forward. Because that's like, once again, we, the horses can't tell these stories, but but the people can. And that's what we'll be doing together.
0: And it's so amazing to see that and, and to see the success of it. And we've talked a little bit about the recidivism rate and the rate of an individual, typically in our prison system, to end up imprisoned again is very high. And it's extremely low across the board with these second chances programs. And, and I think that's just incredible to see. I think Mr. Evans had told me it was under 10 that he had seen from his program come back to prison, which is which is amazing to look at. And and now starting this new chapter with the juvenile program, tell me a little bit about some of the goals and what the TRF is looking for with the launch of this new program.
1: Yes, well, I think um you know, it, it is, it's all about connecting the dots. And, and that's what this kind of a conversation allows us to do. And for the women of Lowell, it's been connecting to the, to the industry as soon as they get out and, and sometimes before they get out so that they don't fall backwards. And, and that's mm-hmm. what really, at the end of the day, impacts that recidivism rate. It's going to be a little different for us with the with the young men, because they, they are not technically incarcerated they are in this juvenile facility. But what we're doing and what our amazing program manager is doing, I, I say we, but honestly, it is she, because we have a unicorn working at this juvenile program, and you will meet her tomorrow, Acacia. <laughs> um, but she is not only using... The curriculum that we use in our in all of our Second Chances program, which is called the Groom Elite program, it's a certification um, curriculum that is geared towards work on the racetrack, but does translate quite well to farm work, etc. But it's it's very skills based and it's very job oriented. At the juvenile program, Velvet Salisbury, our program manager, is also using therapeutic riding techniques or therapeutic um, equine therapy techniques, like she's a gala certified. So she's using a lot of that, but getting to this job piece, she's also bringing the community in to this facility with volunteers who are helping her teach the skills. So actually tomorrow without, without spoiling the surprise, you will meet a couple of these and they come from the fields of um, veterinary work. They come from the fields of farrier work. And so these are true professionals in their field who are coming into the young people's program and showing these young men how to do the job that they do, how to teach, how to be a, you know, all the things about possible career opportunities as a vet tech or possible career opportunities as a blacksmith. Um, This is, is actually something we can do more of with the juvenile program because they aren't frankly Mm -hmm. in prison. There's a lot more interaction with the community. So I would say as you sort of asked the question of how can people get involved? Certainly, awareness is the first step to any kind of engagement. So learning about it, seeing what we're doing, you know, visiting, watching the event tomorrow and perhaps visiting our website afterwards. But then to, to sort of listen to your heart is sort of is, is maybe as goofy as that sounds, is like listen and be aware and then, and then listen to yourself to say, what do you want to do? How can you be involved? Because there are opportunities for volunteers with this young juvenile program. There are certainly opportunities to to help us spread the word as you are doing. Um, and then there's always opportunities um, to help us support the program in all the ways that we must with the infrastructure and with the horses. So um, I'm just really excited that we'll, we'll be able to show so much of this tomorrow and, and kind of bring all these words to life with the people who
0: are doing it, even as we speak. Tuesday, February 23rd, 10 a.m. Eastern. How can people tune in to, to see the launch? Well, thank you, Acacia. Yes, so it
1: is live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. So there's there's lots of ways to reach us if you just go to the TRF Facebook page or the TRF YouTube channel. That's that's one easy way. You can also just go right to our website, which is trfinc.org and any page of our website is going to have a pop-up on it right now. It, it is up there that leads you right to this event. So mm-hmm. many folks have clicked, there's a little button on our website to sign up for a reminder because 10 o'clock tomorrow may come and go and you'll think, oh gosh, rats, I meant to watch that and I missed <laughs> it. Um, so I have over a hundred people have signed up for the reminder and they'll just get a short email from me about 9.30 that's like, oh, don't forget and here's the links. But the other good thing is that it is the magic of technology and that as of the end of the event tomorrow, it'll be living forever on YouTube and our Facebook page to be watched on demand by anyone who hears this podcast later or um, just wants to watch and see it at, at a more convenient time. So easy, easy to find
0: and just go to trfinc.org and we'll take care of you. Excellent. I hope everybody listening gets a chance to tune in. Please share if you're listening to this and this is such a wonderful program that the TRF has created and, and has in place in the second chances farms and looking forward to this next chapter with the juvenile program. Um, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Best of luck this week and looking forward to being a part of a lot more, a success for the TRF.
1: Thank you, Acacia. It's been a pleasure.